You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. How can certified diabetes educators help your patients win their own race? Joining us to share her experience as winner of the amazing race and living with type 1 diabetes is interventional pain management physician, Dr. Natalie Strand. Dr. Strand, welcome to ReachMD. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Edelman. I'm happy to be here. You've been living with diabetes since the age of 12. Tell our listeners about your diabetes a little bit. Well, you know, as everybody knows who uh, is diabetic or has a loved one who's diabetic, your diabetes is definitely a 24-7 issue that you deal with. Sometimes I'm happy with it. Sometimes I learn from it. Sometimes I'm frustrated by it. Sometimes it behaves. Sometimes it doesn't. So uh, my diabetes, I I definitely feel like it's another full-time job. It's a huge part of who I am, um, and it's something that you just deal with on a minute-to-minute basis. How did you get into The Amazing Race? Because that's a pretty strenuous uh, reality show that takes you around the world and you're doing something every single day. Well, I've always been a pretty fast-paced person. Um, I studied abroad twice. I run half marathons. I love to work out and cycle. And it just kind of seemed like one of these opportunities that combined so many loves of mine, travel, sports, competition, But one of the things that I always heard um, whenever anybody found out I was diabetic is that they said, oh, my God, I had no idea. You know, you're so active. You went through residency. You, you know, are so active. And you don't look like a diabetic, right? (laughs) I hear that all the time, and I think, well, what does a diabetic look like? (laughs) So um, it just, I thought it would be such a wonderful platform to go out there and, and just show that having diabetes is a challenge for sure, but it does not have to be a limitation. And I couldn't think of a better platform to just get that message out there. Yeah. Now, you know, we're we're trying to focus in on the show a little bit about the importance of certified diabetes educators, and we have many prominent ones as uh, guests on other shows. Talk a little bit about your relationship with your your educator and how you two work together to manage your diabetes during the different situations, whether you're in the water a lot where a pump might be tough to use to just you know, all of your uh, adjustments in your insulin dose, whether it's your basal or your or your premial boluses? We have an excellent relationship, and I, I think that she has been the most integral person uh, as far as my diabetic team and helping me achieve my goals. She's never told me not to do anything, which I think has just been amazing. She's helped me figure out how to do it in the safest way possible or the most convenient way, how to work through some, you know, kinks and <laughs> and create some loopholes, but... Um, she's someone that has helped me every step of the way um, in my daily life and in getting ready for the Amazing Race. Going through different time zone changes, how, how did you deal with that? I leveled out most of my basal rates so that there wouldn't be huge swings between what was supposed to be an AM dose or a PM dose. So I took my 24-hour basal requirements and then basically averaged them knowing that I was going to be in a different time zone every single day. So there would be no way for me to really keep my basal rates um, as they were at home. Did your insulin usage go down with all the activity? What, how much of a drop in total daily dose did you use? You know, I actually decreased my insulin by about 20% on purpose. 
I knew that with the kind of situations I would be in, I'd rather run a little high than a little low. And that was something else that I worked out with my educator because I knew I'd be running. I knew I'd be in deserts or lakes or cliffs or airplanes. So I deliberately chose to run myself a little bit high during the race so that I would avoid any disastrous lows. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important. Now, I understand you're afraid of heights. And does your blood sugar go up when you get into those stressful situations when your adrenaline's pumping out? It sure does. My blood sugar just spikes when I get scared, and I am terrified of heights. Um, there's one little moment on the race where you see I'm in a gondola, and I think I'm going up to jump off the side of a mountain. So I test my blood sugar, and of course, I <laughs> it was high, and I knew I, I could blame my anxiety and stress uh, for that one. Well, you know, Natalie, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark, so we, we're, everyone's afraid of something. If you're just joining us, <laughs> you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with winner of The Amazing Race and Living with Diabetes, Dr. Natalie Strand. We're also discussing the integral role of the certified diabetes educator. What was your uh, strategy for managing hypoglycemia, and did you have any severe reactions during the trip? My strategy for managing any hypoglycemic episodes on the race was just to have enough supplies with me. I had one backpack, and instead of packing hairbrushes and makeup, I packed a bunch of power bars and glucose tablets. Um, So I had planned to get low up to three times a day for the month, and I had enough supplies to get me through, you know, more lows than ever could have happened. So I just kept glucose on me. I had the tablets, the gels, um, of course, the injections uh, for the glucagon, and then I had plenty of uh, fast-acting carbohydrate snacks that I kept with me at all times. Well, your partner, uh, you know, was a doctor, so that probably helped as well. What kind of doctor was Dr. Chang? Uh, Dr. Chang, or Kat, as uh, I call her, and she was known on the race, is another anesthesiologist, and we actually met when we were at UCLA together doing our residency. Well, I think, you know, um, a, a really important topic is this whole hypoglycemia, because as you know, you know, we, we're always being pushed to get the blood sugars down. Our listeners are always trying to get the blood sugars down to their patients. But the limiting factor is hypoglycemia. And I think there is a proper way to prevent it and obviously treat it. And you mentioned all the fast-acting carbohydrates, which I think is really, really important. Tell us about some of your backup plans for insulin therapy, like if your pump pulled out or the insulin got too hot. Tell us about how you dealt with that. Well, my backup plans were another part that my educator really came in and saved the day because she helped me imagine every single possible disaster because she's probably seen them all, you know, in her patient population, people coming to her with their own stories. So she helped me a lot in imagining what could happen and then imagining a scenario to rectify those situations. Um, I had a backup insulin pump. So I had two pumps with me. If one pump malfunctioned, I had a second one there. I also had separate insulin for multiple daily injections. So if for any reason the pump malfunctioned or it was lost or the batteries um, weren't working anymore, I couldn't find any new batteries, I did have insulin from multiple daily injections as well. And I had a full set in my backpack. Kat had a full set of everything in her backpack as well in case my bag was lost or stolen. Uh, the other thing that we did is we had um, letters printed in every single language. So that way if we were going through customs, and they saw a bunch of syringes and vials, and they didn't want to let me through, I would at least have a letter explaining what 
I was carrying it for and that I was diabetic. So I had a, I just, I didn't know where I was going, obviously. So I had letters in Russian, German, Spanish, oh, French. Wow. Little, you had a little accordion file, you know, uh, you know, A, B through C. Well, tell us your hairiest diabetic moment during the Amazing Race experience. My hairiest moment was when we were in South Korea. Um, it had been a really long leg. We had been racing for about 19 hours. And we were in these little boats in the harbor in South Korea looking. We had these flashlights, and we were looking for a specific boat number. And we had been doing it for about four hours. And I hadn't had a proper meal all day. I was dehydrated. I was tired. And I didn't have my whole big backpack with me. I had my little purse that had sort of, you know, just the insulin uh, and glucose that I kept with me at all times. But it wasn't my whole stash. We were on the boat for much longer than I thought we were going to be on there. So I had a bad low. Mm. I treated with glucose, waited, treated again, waited, ate my snack, waited. And all of a sudden I started to realize, hmm, I only have a few glucose tablets left. I'm in this harbor at 4 a.m. in South Korea with, you know, no cell phone, no way to communicate. So thankfully, um, we found our boat with the little number and and we got back to my backpack uh, soon after that. But that was the first time during the whole race that I was really nervous just because getting a bad low when you haven't eaten really all day is always a very scary situation. Oh, it's Murphy's Law, you know. You, when you need it the most, you somehow don't have it with you. Don't they have a lot of rice out in Korea? That, that could raise you up pretty fast. You know, yeah, I just I just wasn't in the right place. I was just sitting in the middle of this harbor. You know, there wasn't much there. Hey, so did, were you in contact with your CDE during the race? I was not. Um, we did work out a situation where if um, I needed to, the production people or the production team would let me email her with specific questions. But there is a um, amazing race team doctor that is based in LA. So he would have to field everything Got it. through him and he would contact my educator and then she would contact him and he would contact production. So I wasn't allowed to communicate with her directly, but there was a plan in place if she needed to get some information. Sounds like you were a lot closer to your CD than your, your diabetes doctor, or do you have one? <laughs> well, Dr. Drexler at UCLA um, is my official endocrinologist, but you're right. I definitely work more with my CDE than my endocrinologist. Yeah, I know Andy. He, he, when I talk to him, I try to have a hard time staying awake. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Andy's a good friend. So how- <laughs> no, he's a great guy, but he he kind of lets me and Carolyn, you know, just ramble on for an hour, and he kind of rolls his eyes and says, "Okay, okay." Well, Carol, <laughs> yeah, Carolyn's the greatest. That's for sure. Well. How- how has your life changed since the race is over? Um, I know you're back at work, and you know I know you're doing a lot of media stuff. It, how has it changed? The, the best change has been being more involved in the diabetic community. Before the race, I never really had ties to the diabetic community. I never participated in fundraisers or walks or races. I just sort of lived in my normal life. And since the race, the diabetic community has been so warm and so receptive. Uh, it's just been a huge joy to be able to participate in some of these things. And it's also very inspiring to me to become a better diabetic when I meet people like yourself or uh, Phil Sutherland and you hear about, you know, people achieving such great control while being so active. It's, it's really inspiring for me to step up my own game in my own level of uh, control with my diabetes. So 
I think being involved in the diabetic community and just kind of embracing that has been a fantastic change that I credit to being on the race. Well, you know, you're you're a great role model, um, and you know, I, I'm like I'm like you in many ways. You know, when I go out to these patient conferences that my not for profit puts on, and it inspires me to do a better job with myself. And we'd love to get you to to come down to one of our taking control of your diabetes conferences as well. I'd like to thank our guest interventional pain management physician and winner of the amazing race in Newport, California, Dr. Natalie Strand. Dr. Strand, thanks so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Well, thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at ReachMD.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, to help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.